Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Wonderful to be back here in Zendo with everyone this morning. Great robe of liberation, field far beyond form and emptiness, wearing the Tathagata's teaching, saving all beings. This is what we chanted this morning. We chant it every Saturday morning, and it's chanted other mornings here after meditation and before service. Um, or if we come to afternoon meditation, we chant it ourselves either before the altar or before the picture of Avalokiteshvara or in some place. Um, and I've chanted it many times, but suddenly a couple of months ago, it resonated with me. We were on Zoom and uh, I was in my little closet zendo in my condo and it just kind of reached out and grabbed me like it never had before. Maybe you've had that experience where um, some line from a sutra or a chant just suddenly comes alive for you. It seems to take on some kind of meaning or at least it grabs your attention and asks you to pay some attention to it. So that's what happened to me. So I decided to look into the robes and the robe chant. And that's what I've been doing for the last couple of months. And it just happened so that Colin asked me to give a talk. So that kind of helped a lot. So uh, as you've noticed, we have different forms of robes. Colin himself has this robe that he's wearing, a more formal robe this morning. It's called a kesa, I believe. Oh, kesa? That's what I was wearing earlier. Earlier, okay. Um, and uh, he has another robe that he wears during the more informal services, for example, on Monday and Wednesday evenings. And we lay people, when we study the precepts and have our jukai ceremony, we sew this <coughs> robe, which is called the rakasu. And uh, you'll also notice when you see guest speakers or pictures of people, of, of uh, priests who are, are uh, from other traditions, like in Tibet or from Thailand, uh, they have different colored robes also and different styles. Uh, so different traditions have different, different kinds of robes. But whether or not you have a rakasu or wear a robe, when it comes time to chant the robe chant, everyone chants it. Whether they have a rakasu or a robe or not. And as Colin mentioned earlier, you have a rakasu, it comes, has an, a little envelope that we keep it in. And when the time comes, we place it on our heads and we chant the chant with our hands in gusho. The first time I saw someone do this was Rick at the old Zen center. And he was standing by the window and he had this wakesa, he had a different robe at that time, on his head. And I thought, this is so strange. Ah, what is he doing? I don't understand. Should I stay or should I go? <laughs> went through my mind at that point. But I didn't ask a question. I didn't ask him what he was doing. Um, I think it's a very old practice. Is one of the things that I discovered, as you'll see. Um, 
and it's kind of a, a I think of it now as when I put the robe on my head it's first of all the highest place I can think of when I'm sitting here and I just think of it covering me from top to bottom but where did the robe come from in the first place well the story that I uncovered was the story of King Bimbisara who uh, wanted to speak with the Buddha who was uh, interested in what the Buddha had to say and he was on his way to meet the Buddha and saw a, uh, an obviously religious person walking along the road so he stopped his entourage and he, he spoke with this person and discovered that this was not a disciple of the Buddha as he thought so he was rather embarrassed about that and when he did see the Buddha he said why don't you design some kind of robe or cloth covering for your disciples so that we know who they are and the Buddha thought this was a good idea he consulted with his disciple Ananda and as they were talking about it they were looking over the newly planted rice fields in the spring and they thought how beautiful the pattern was with all the different fields and so the Buddha asked Ananda to design something that would reflect the, uh, the rice patties and the design. So Ananda did that and uh, Buddhist practitioners, disciples, have been wearing a robe ever since. There were very specific instructions as to what the robe could be made out of and it had to be some kind of cloth that had been discarded. It could be from uh, a shroud that had been wrapped around a corpse in the graveyard. It could be um, cloth that had been used in childbirth. It had to be something that had been discarded, thrown away. Maybe it came from a trash heap and had been picked apart by birds. But the Buddhist disciples would gather up these scraps of useless cloth sew them together in the pattern with the rice fields and then dye them a dark color. These pieces of discarded cloth had no value and yet they were put together for the Buddha's robe. No value, no attachment. So even though we have this, this robe, it's just made of little scraps that were worthless. So where did the robe chant come from? Well, many of you may know that our ancestor Dogen, who founded the Soto school of Zen, um, left Japan to go to China because he felt that he hadn't found the true teaching in Japan. And he later, in the Shobogenzo, which is one of his major works, uh, wrote chapter on the spiritual merits of the Ukesa, the, the robe. And here's how he described his experience in China. Whilst I was in Song, China, doing my training on the long bench in the meditation hall, I noticed that every morning following the striking of the wake-up block, the monks who sat on either side of me would raise their folded kesa in a gesture of offering, place it atop their head, respectfully make gasho, and recite a verse to themselves. What they were saying in that verse was, how great and wondrous is the robe of enlightenment, formless and embracing every treasure, 
I wish to unfold the Buddha's teaching that I may help all sentient beings reach the other shore. On the occasion when I learned of this, a feeling I had never experienced welled up in me. A joy filled my body to overflowing. Tears of gratitude stealing from my eyes rolled down my cheeks and wet the collar of my robe. The reason for this was that I had been reading the Agama Sutra shortly before, and although I had seen the passage on humbly offering up the kesa above one's head, I was not clear about the ceremonial procedure. Now I was personally witnessing it and was filled with such joy and worshipful admiration at being able to see manifest before me its deeper intent. My joy and sorrow were not mixed as my myriad tears issued forth. This really struck me. I, I never imagined Dogen, Ehe Dogen, who I think uh, just pictured as being so stern and taciturn maybe, uh, would be so filled with joy that he was just overflowing. Um, he was obviously deeply moved by seeing this. And so he brought this tradition back to Japan for the Soto school, and that's what we do to this day. Uh, in the virtue of the Kesa from the Shobogenzo, Dogen describes how the robe was handed down, the actual robe from Shakyamuni to later ancestors. Uh, he goes into great detail and describes its different forms. Some have more panels than others. Um, and he described how it should be sewn and laundered and worn. So it goes into great detail about it. It's, it's obviously very important to him. So I'd like to look a little bit at each line uh, of the chant. And the first is, Great Robe of Liberation, also translated as Vast Robe of Liberation or Great and Wondrous Robe of Enlightenment. So it's liberation and enlightenment. The robe represents the possibility of liberation from attachment and from our suffering. It represents our aspiration for enlightenment. Dogen called it the robe of virtue, formlessness, compassion, patience, and enlightenment. For Dogen, Buddha's robe is actually Buddha's body and Buddha's mind. Suzuki Roshi called the robe the Dharma itself. The next line is field far beyond form and emptiness. If this kind of echoes the, uh, the line from the Heart Sutra that says, form does not differ from emptiness, emptiness does not differ from form. But there are other translations, like the one I just read from the Shobogenzo, that uh, say, instead of being field far beyond form and emptiness, that it is formless and embracing every treasure. treasure. Or another translation you might have heard, um, a formless field of benefaction. So not just beyond form and emptiness, but originally formless. This, uh, as I thought about this, this seems like such a contradiction because a field, when we think of a field, it's an area that's bounded by something. It might be hedges or walls or um, rocks or something. It's a definitive area. But uh, if it's formless, 
that means it sounds like there are no boundaries. But, but this is one of those seeming paradoxes in Zen, you know, it's, it's, we think of either this or that, and this very phrase, formless field, is saying, no, 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 it's, it's beyond all that. It's, it's not even that to begin with. Um, so how can this be? Well, if you think about how the robe is made, we start with uh, scraps of worthless cloth. And by the way, when we sew our rakasu here and in many other places, we sew it ourselves, but it comes from one piece of cloth. Um, our robes here are uh, provided to us, the scraps from the, Zen, the Houston Zen Center. And they come like in a little package, already cut, pre-cut. Or, um, or one big piece and then we measure and cut it here. So in the process, we are making a big piece of cloth worthless or something not to be attached. So it's assembled from worthless cloth. So originally it had no form because it had we didn't even have the scraps. And at some point, I don't know what happens to this robe after I'm no longer here, this rakasu. Uh, what will my children, grandchildren, do with it? I have no idea. Maybe it'll be thrown on the scrap heap and be picked apart by birds. I don't know. Um, so it came from who knows where, and it's going who knows where. So the form that you see is here, but will not be here. It is formless. It doesn't have an original or fixed or ultimate form that could be called robeness. This is the robeness of it. Um, so the nature of this robe, that it is impermanent and ultimately without self, can show us the nature of all things, or Buddha nature. The robe is expounding the Dharma to us, just as Dogen says, walls and trees and grass and rocks expound the Dharma to us. So when we talk about a formless field of benefaction, benefaction is a benefit or something that's given to us as a gift uh, that will benefit us, that will help us. So having this robe expound the Dharma to us is the gift that it gives us. The next line is wearing the Tathagata's teaching, or I wish to unfold the Buddha's teaching. Um, there is a book called Living by Vow by Shohaku Okamura that has a chapter on the robe chant. And uh, Okamura Roshi is, is such a singular person. He's, his English, Japanese, Chinese, maybe, I don't know, Sanskrit and Pali. His knowledge of these languages is so vast. Um, and he can take uh, character by character, go back to the original meaning, or the meaning at the time that this was written, and uh, kind of uh, unpack it a little more for us. So uh, in Japanese, this line is he bu niorai kyo. And Okamori Roshi says that he 
means to open, unfold, or uncover. And Bu means humbly or with respect. So he, Bu, means that we are uncovering or unfolding this robe with respect. Uh, and Nyorai-kyo is the Tathagata's teaching. The Tathagata is an enlightened being, or one gone beyond form and emptiness, beyond duality, a Buddha. So this was the line that really caught my attention uh, that morning in my sendo closet. And I thought, wow, uh, I, I need to really concentrate on this line to actually where the Tathagata's teaching, how does that feel and what does that mean? I thought, you know, I, I am not very good at going through my day and trying to live by the precepts, but maybe if I think of myself as wearing Buddha's robe, Buddha's teachings, that would help me. And I worked with that for a while and kind of let it unfold in my mind a little bit. Um, I thought maybe I could be more compassionate, uh, nicer to people. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. This is getting kind of heavy. This is, this is, I, I feel like I have to give up something in order to be this person who's wearing Buddha's robe. Is this really me? I mean, am I really going to, is it going to help other people? Am I going to save all beings this way? And I, I just kind of took a step back from it. Um, and then I thought, well, what are the Buddhist teachings really? The Buddhist teachings are words, words that are spoken, words that are written on a piece of paper. And as we've probably heard many times in Zen, um, words, reality is beyond words. Uh, words are like uh, the finger pointing to the moon. Here's, here are the words describing the moon and pointing to it. But this is still a finger, and that's the moon, and they're not the same thing. So the Buddha's teachings are words, but they're describing something. They're describing reality for us, Buddha nature, the way things really are. But they're not reality itself. But they're not separate from reality either, because there's a connection there. They're not the same, but they're not separate either. So I might, uh, I might never have heard the Buddhist teachings. Or I might decide that I really don't want to practice Buddhist teachings. I don't want to practice Zen anymore. But I cannot take off the nature of my being. I cannot remove this robe, this rakasu, and remove impermanence or the fact that I don't exist apart from everything else. I'm not independent in that way. So in a sense, I suddenly realized I, I'm always wearing the Buddhist teachings. I'm always wearing impermanence and non-self, and I can never take that robe off. It's always with me. It's always been with me. And as for as long as I exist, it will be with me. So uh, 
Buddha nature is the robe that I wear constantly. The one that we all wear, have always worn, whether we hear Buddha's teaching or not. That's why we all chant the robe chant, because we're all wearing that robe. But the last line is saving all beings. All beings, including myself. Saving them, liberating them. That's the great vast rope of liberation. That's a big, a big ask, all beings. So what am I liberating myself and others from? From delusion, that we're permanent, that we have an independent self that's not deeply interrelated and connected with others. And uh, realizing our true nature, we can have the aspiration. We can hear the Buddha's uh, teaching that there is a path that leads away from suffering. So it gives us uh, an opportunity to free ourselves from greed, hate, and delusion, to cultivate compassion for ourselves and others in the formless field of benefaction. So what we do here, I feel, is uh, like this morning, uh, having service, sitting zazen, we are unfolding he, that, that hebu nyoraikyo, we are unfolding the dharma, the teaching, all together here, right now in our practice, and at home, when we're practicing alone. That's the unfolding. So that's how I ruminated on this, um, on the rope chant, and I would welcome your questions or comments.